裁選挙には出馬をしない、こうしたことを申し上げました。Japanese Prime Minister Suga Yoshihide surprised many in Japan and in his own political party when he announced in early September his intention to step down as Prime Minister and to not seek a second term after just one year in office, in the face of approval ratings dropping to an all time low. Kishida is elected as the leader of Japan's ruling party, the Liberal Democratic Party. While the ruling Liberal Democratic Party quickly elected former Foreign Minister and Policy Chief Kishida Fumio to replace Suga as party president, thus making him Prime Minister earlier this month, Suga's surprise resignation seemed to offer. An opportunity for Japan's opposition parties to seize a political advantage, especially after a series of upset victories over the summer in local elections in Hiroshima, Nagano, and Hokkaido. In response, just last week, new Prime Minister Kishida dissolved the lower house in preparation for a hurried general election on October 31st. Setting up another electoral showdown between the Liberal Democratic Party of Japan and its many opposition party contenders. Who are the opposition parties in Japanese politics? And what are their political platforms? What prevents the opposition from being more successful in Japanese elections? And how is the LDP seemingly always able to win? And can we really call Japan a functioning democracy if a single party has held so much political power for so long? I'm Tristan Gruno, and this is Japan on the Record. For more on Japanese opposition party politics, I talked with Romeo Marcancioni, PhD student in the Graduate School of Asia Pacific Studies at Waseda University and a frequent author writing about Japanese politics for Tokyo Review. I started by asking him how Suga's surprise resignation and replacement by Kishida impacted Japan's opposition parties. Right. In a sense, a Suga led election would have been a really serious boon to the opposition. Over the past year or so, the opposition has been making these small gains in by elections and in regional elections. And they've been able to kind of spin this into a sense of momentum. At the same time, the LDP was kind of visibly shaken since the beginning of January or so, with some reports saying that a badly timed election would actually hit them really hard in seat numbers. But it's kind of also about the story that this lets the opposition tell. If the Prime Minister Suga's failures are clear to anyone and being able to vote him out of power makes for a stronger electoral imperative than voting the still untested new Prime Minister Kishida out of office, then it's not as if the LTP's image as a competent party has not been eroded by Suga, but it's clearly gains a boost by just changing who's in charge. So maybe the opposition could not have really won a general election, even in the case of a Suga led election, but it would have avoided the media drama of the leadership election and continued to give them a little bit of a sense of momentum. And I wonder then if that's why they set this election so soon, October 31st, as a way to prevent the opposition from really rallying their support. And you mentioned that some of these oppositional parties were doing pretty well in these kind of special elections elsewhere. Can you tell us more about who these oppositional parties are and why they are doing so well in these other elections? Right. So the progressive opposition parties that exist right now, and I tend to focus on progressives because they consistently make up the largest bloc, are the Constitutional Democratic Party of Japan, the Japanese Communist Party, the Democratic Party for the People, the Social Democratic Party, and the Reiwa Shinsengumi. So the Constitutional Democratic Party of Japan, so the CDP, and the Japanese Communist Party, the JCP, make up the bulk of this force, and together in their campaigning, they focus on their shared ideals of constitutionalism, anti-neoliberalism, social welfare, and social justice. You could call them social democratic in the European and American sense. 
And they have, in fact, both made several statements comparing their own stances to that of U.S. President Biden. So they definitely don't try to play the outsider in Japanese politics. Rather, they try to appeal to a global and liberal common sense. Now, in thinking about opposition politics in Japan, of course, you know, we think about most recently, it was the DPJ, the Democratic Party of Japan, or Minchito, that last was able to unseat the LDP. What is the relationship between that Democratic Party of Japan and some of these other progressive parties that you're talking about now? So in terms of like the difference or the connection between the the old DPJ and uh, the current opposition parties, I would say that they're somewhat more left-wing, somewhat more ideologically motivated. One of the ways you could see this is in the 2020 policy program that the Constitutional Democratic Party of Japan published, which focuses quite a great deal on neoliberalism and how neoliberalism is what has destroyed the Japanese economy and made it impossible for the economy to grow. Focusing specifically on Abenomics and the ways in which Abenomics is imbued with this neoliberal sense of self-responsibility, privatizing risk, and enriching the already rich, essentially. I think a lot of people would have issues with calling Abe an actual neoliberal, with calling Abenomics an actual neoliberal program. But that's kind of the way that we know or that we can see a difference between the old DPJ, which was much more pragmatic and much more motivated by trying to seem more like the LDP and the current opposition parties, which do have a more systemic critique of what's wrong with Japan, what's wrong with the economy, what's wrong with the LDP. And so a degree of what's happening there is that while the DBJ was focused on trying to compete with the LDP on terms of competence, on trying to say like the LDP is corrupt, the LDP cannot actually govern the states efficiently anymore. And so you ended up with this like anti-bureaucracy rhetoric from the 90s up until the DBJ getting into power and doing these massive media events where they grill all these bureaucrats and essentially demonize them and get on their bad side. Compared to that, the current Constitutional Democratic Party of Japan, they also focus on competence in, in a similar sense to the DBJ, but they try to bolster their message with these ideological problems that the LDP cannot possibly take on, or theoretically, in their view, could not take on. And you said before that some of the policy proposals seem like they're almost straight out of uh, President Biden's playbook. So what are some of those pillars? I mean, you mentioned social justice, other types of programs, but specifically, what kind of programs are on the platform? So I, I need to get one disclaimer out of the way, which is that this, the CDP still needs to put out its actual manifesto. And even so, their policy goals are already pretty clear, but the way they work together or which policies will get priority in its campaign messaging is still kind of unknown. And that will matter a lot. And I'll explain why. In general, the policies are not all that different from what you'd expect from the LDP. They're promising to increase wages, to protect struggling agriculture and regional economies, uh, net zero carbon goals, etc. Like things that you would expect from the Kishida announcements. The big difference lie in a few categories, like the CDP wants to stop building new nuclear power stations and phase out the rest over time. And it wants to temporarily decrease the consumption tax. And these are all types of things that kind of work well with the so-called liberal or center left. But a central concern is how to get non-voters on their side. And for that, they've presented a few policies that will get money into people's pockets. One of them is a one-year exemption of the income tax, 
but they also want to buff up basic services such as health and childcare. The theory would be to build an economy that takes enough out of the market to allow people to live dignified lives and to consequently increase household spending, thus creating shared growth through a care and consumption oriented economy. But these proposals all have a problem in that they don't really undermine the, the major narrative of the LDP, which is especially now that is that it has somewhat renewed through its leadership campaign, that the opposition can't responsibly run government and that only the LDP can give you a shot at achieving a better living standard. New Prime Minister Kishida quite cleverly overturned much of the CDP specificity by making the exact same systemic claims about neoliberalism as the leader of the opposition has been doing. And it seems like neoliberalism in Japan is, as it is in some other nations right now, a pretty easy to disavow ideology at this point, even by the conservatives. But it also shows that the LDP cannot budge on its stance on gender legislation, and it would rather promise to dismantle an entire economic system than legalize same-sex marriage. So kind of the main pillar, the main policy pillar that I think makes the CDP different from the LDP is their stance on gender legislation, on same-sex marriage, and on changing the surname system so married couples can keep their separate last names. But we shouldn't make a mistake that this is somehow a fringe issue, that it only hits the crowd it already has. I think they've been trying to articulate this as a question about the identity of the nation, making it a question about what kind of country we want Japan to be. Can we rise to international standards? Or do we keep letting other nations look down on us? Because Japan has such a weak protest and participative culture. It's hard for us to imagine that we can see this kind of broad-based mobilization occur on issues that only affect a minority of people. But I, I think actually it matters to people in general what kind of rights their nation gives to even a small section of its people. And with the surname legislation, it affects anyone who wants to marry. So in other words, I'm kind of critical of the idea that focusing on gender alienated the so-called mutoha, which is the so-called independent voters. But the fact is, we never seen this before, as far as I know. That's a great point. And I was reminded of this anecdote that I heard once in a poll about why the LDP continues to stay in such power. Is that, well, the LDP got us into this mess. They're the ones who can get us out of it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, this is seen as one reason for the LDP being able to stay in power for as long as they have, you know, ever since the end of World War II. And of course, this raises questions about can we really call Japan a democracy if you have one party rule for so long? Only twice has the LDP been unseated. And so right. I guess I, I have a two-part question for you then is, you know, what is your reaction to that idea? And another anecdote I often hear is that, well, the LDP keeps winning because the opposition fights amongst itself and can never get its act together. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, to understand where the opposition is at right now, we have to kind of think about some of the more puzzling characteristics of Japan's post-war democracy. And like you said, it's one of the things that's always on everyone's mind when an election happens. The LDP almost never loses. The political scientist Ethan Shiner in his book on why the LDP has been so stable over the past 50 or so years starts out with the premise that Japan is a democracy and that the LDP is unpopular. The consequence of that is we then have to ask questions about the nature of Japanese democracy. That's also why when the DPJ got into power in 2009, it should have done more to break the LDP's hold on politics and help to transition Japan into a more competitive election. But instead, the DPJ failed to stay in power, failed to do very much of anything at all, and came back to the opposition with a blemish that it still can't get rid of, even though the party doesn't even exist anymore. And it's hard to say that this is a long-term characteristic of LDP dominance, if it's the same one as the one that worked in the past, or there's something else that's working to keep the opposition from gaining traction right now. 
in particular, it's premised right now on the idea of them having wasted their opportunity and on a particular political style of uh, Prime Minister Abe Shinzo, which kept them out of the policymaking apparatus, at least according to the opposition themselves. That's kind of the narrative they built, that Japan has transitioned into a less pluralistic system because Prime Minister Abe Shinzo managed to polarize Japan into the conservatives, the ones that are for the LDP and the liberals, even if the liberals that they articulate aren't necessarily all that willing to vote for the opposition. But the, the fact is that the opposition is back into a marginal position. So that the opposition is surprisingly weak is not a particularly new surprise, I would say. But it does ask us some questions about the nature of the democracy that Japan has right now and, and what to change or what to do to improve it into the future. I mean, this might be me thinking in the American context where political party affiliation with political ideology has become so overlapped, where if you're liberal, you're Democrat, if you're conservative, you're Republican. Is that what's happening here with the opposition parties? I mean, is there any truth to the idea that the left in Japan is so splintered amongst all these other parties that they're unable to mount an effective attack on the conservative LDP that seems a little bit more homogenized? So yeah, I would say since 2015, which is around the time when former Prime Minister Abe was pushing through this security legislation, the liberal opposition parties have been trying to cooperate so that they can share their votes together. And the theory is that this would give them enough votes to actually make a big dent in the LDP's share of the diet. They've made huge strides on that in the last year or so. And we are now heading into a general election where most single member districts, so that means where first past the post decides who wins the seats, will be contested by a unified opposition candidate. So what that means is that just by sheer numbers, just by sheer mathematics, the seats will probably increase. The opposition's hold of the diet will probably increase. And that's going to be pretty good for them. But you're right in that Japan is not that polarized into liberals and, and conservatives. So a lot of the rhetoric in the last couple of years has been questioning how the opposition could reach out to conservative voters. And they've been trying to build this argument that they are the real purveyors of the old conservatism of the old LDP. And in fact, the CDP has a lot of good things to say about the old LDP. And the leader of the Constitution Democratic Party, Edano Yukio, often points towards these old leaders to say, this is how I will govern. I will govern the way that the old LDP used to govern, which is with a, an eye for pluralism, for protecting the common people, but also for, ironically, allowing the opposition to have a say in power, which basically means letting the LDP have a say in power, have a say in the diet when he's the leader. And so it's not that clear cut. And that's one of the big issues that the opposition has. It needs to build its membership. And that's the, the thing that it hasn't been able to do right now. I mean, another question that comes up, you know, it's always, well, this is the election that the LDP is going to lose. No. And even with the oppositional parties winning some of these special elections elsewhere, there's some voices out there saying like, well, let's not get too excited. This happens every time. <laughs> is something different, right? Yeah. I mean, if we look back, you know, you mentioned before the kind of groundswell movements and the 2000 teens in opposition to changing Article 9 in opposition to the National Secrets Law, you know, mm. school kids from all around Japan, you know, coming to Tokyo, marching on the diet, like it was 1960 or 1968 again. And that didn't really even go anywhere either. Mm. Is something happening 
different now to yeah. give more optimism to the opposition? I have to say, not really. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of like the big, the big contradiction of my research. I keep looking for these answers and they're not going to show up. Like I keep looking for these moments of optimism and they're not going to happen in that way. So maybe a a long-term characteristic of Japanese politics is disappointments. And that might be true of any other place in the world, right? Democratic politics, part of it is is being disappointed and, and trying to turn that into something anyway, trying to accept that somehow anyway. And in terms of the opposition's strategy, very clearly, it seems to me and it seems to a lot of other observers that they're not looking to win this election. They know that because of the leadership election, they've basically lost their shot at this point. Unless something drastic happens, they've lost their shot. They will, however, manage to strengthen their ties, get some people in into office, build up their local constituency, and probably try to win the next election, which is next year, the upper house election. The same way that happened just before the DBJ election in 2009, where the DBJ first won the upper house election. So that seems to be the strategy they're aiming at right now. So that means make small gains, build up their reputation, build up their credibility, get some people into power, keep saying the right things, and then hopefully get rewarded for it later. I'm Tristan Gruno, visiting assistant professor of modern Japanese history at Pacific University. And this has been another episode of Japan on the Record. Stay tuned for future episodes to hear scholars of Japan bring their expertise to bear on issues in the news. Thank you for listening.